Welcome back to Homestuck Made This World, the show about the critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. I'm Michael, and with me is my co-host, Cameron. Cahoots. <laughs> Come again? Cahoots. Cahoots? We're in cahoots. Cahoots! This is episode uh, four, part two, and we are going to be talking about all sorts of different types of, of cahoots as we continue act five and the adventure of the trolls. Uh, I'll start the summary unless there's anything else you want to add, Cameron. Cahoots. Cahoots. Arachnid's grip is named Vriska Serket. She is flamboyant, self-obsessed, and a dedicated power gamer, but feels like she has been subject to an extreme run of bad luck lately. Maybe it has something to do with a mysterious, unnamed figure who speaks to her over her computer in totally white text and who claims to be omniscient and admits to having exploited her to his own ends in the past. Anyway, Vriska also has killed a lot of other troll children because she needs to feed them to her mom, who is a giant spider. Her next-door neighbor is Centaur's testicle, a.k.a. Equius Zahak, who built Vriska's robot arm and whom she's conscripted to build a robot body for Aradia as contrition for causing the event that made Aradia be dead. How that happened was this. After Vriska threw Tavros off the cliff, Aradia, who was still alive at this point, used her psychic powers to invoke the ghosts of all the kids Vriska fed to her spider mom. Vriska was extremely freaked out. The white text guy got in touch and suggested to Vriska that she kill Aradia in revenge, which he explains is part of his plan to allow the figure he calls his employer to enter the universe. He also taunts Vriska over not having free will, since his omniscience allows him to know how everything will happen. This irritates Vriska and in order to spite him, she goes along with his suggestion to kill Aradia. She does so by psychically dominating Solix, implied to be Aradia's boyfriend by the way, and using his laser vision to blow up Aradia's house. Laser vision is a psychic power that trolls have sometimes. On the green moon of Alternia, the white text guy is revealed to be Doc Scratch, a man with a cue ball for a head who is immune to influence from the normal reader command format of the narrative. We are told he is part of a class of beings called First Guardians, who are very powerful and spend their immortal lives watching and cultivating planets with intelligent life so they can serve their ultimate purpose, whatever that is. We cannot enter Scratch's perspective as we can other characters, but in the past, which is what I'm still describing by the the way, we learn he's perturbed because despite his omniscience, Vriska has somehow had mild success in challenging his plans. Scratch is contacted by Terezi, who, as retribution for Vriska's murder of Aradia, lets him in on a little secret. Vriska is in possession of a magic cue ball, a palantir-like object which allows her to tap into Scratch's omniscience. Enraged, Scratch makes the cue ball explode while Vriska is holding it, destroying her arm and one of her eyes. Back in the present, Vriska's spider mom is grievously injured in an accident caused by the faded nature of the game, and she has to euthanize her. This is true for all the trolls and their various animal guardians. Equius enters the game and meets up with ghost frog sprite Aradia, to whom he offers the robot body. She accepts and is horrified to discover Equius programmed the robot to make her fall in love with him. She rips out her robot heart, smashes it, and then kisses Equius anyway, in a narrative decision that is highly messed up and which we will certainly talk more about later. Nepeta watches this all go down and is perplexed, but she dutifully updates her shipping chart where she catalogs all potential matches among her friend group. 
In the game, Karkat meets up with an agent from Purpo named Jack Noir, whom he believes may be useful for the trolls in beating the game. As the only troll who hides his blood color from the others, Karkat is unexpectedly moved to discover that Jack has the exact same color of blood as him. It's red, like human blood, and considered an unfavorable mutation on Eugenics Happy Alternia. From Jack, the trolls learn that their session's Black Queen has secretly removed her ring of power because Aradia prototyped the frog statue. For reasons yet unknown, frogs are considered anathema to residents of Purpo. This leaves the queen vulnerable, and the trolls manage to exile her to post-apocalypse Alternia, where she meets Doc Scratch, who offers her a new role to play. Also, it turns out that what the trolls thought were two competing teams were destined to be one team all along in a single game session. Grim Auxiliatrix is introduced and named as Kanaya Mariam. Kanaya is especially bright and peppy for a troll, and we learn her cast is destined for roles in the complex procreative process of troll society as a servant to the species Mother Grub. She likes to read supernatural romance literature and tries to function as a conciliatory presence among her friends, tempering their worst impulses. Due to the timeless nature of Spur, she also acquired Rose's game fac and is studying it to prepare for the game, but has developed some very strange and grand ideas about who Rose is as a result. Meanwhile, Vriska tricks Tavros into coming to her house, where she tries to force him to fall in love with her, but gives up. Kanaya, who has a crush on Vriska, is devastated. This might all seem very confusing, so the narrative helpfully detours into a long expository segment explaining troll romance. Here's how that works. Troll romance is what would happen if you took multiple human interpersonal dynamics, labeled them all as romance, organized them on a grid by the suits of a deck of cards, and then set about ensuring everybody involved had the absolute worst boundaries possible. For trolls, this is apparently biologically necessary, and they need to have a good balance of the right types of romance in order to produce the genetic material that is collected in buckets by sinister imperial drones. In addition to regular human-like romance, connoted by the symbol of the red heart, there is a kind of toxic, eroticized loathing connoted by a black spade. A red diamond suggests a platonic two-person complementary pairing akin to human friendship, while the black club represents a three-person arrangement where an antagonistic relationship between two individuals is mediated by a more neutral third party. All of these things have special names and related terms that I'm not going to bother explaining in this summary because we have to introduce the final two trolls, Caligula's Aquarium and Cuttlefish Color. Oh, but oh shit, I've already taken up so much time talking about troll romance that we'll have to wait for the next partisode to learn their names. A lot going on in this, uh, this section. Hell of a lot going on. <clears throat> Uh, you know, this is, uh, this is the point where the frog realizes the water's boiling, right? Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, I don't care for Vriska. <laughs> One bit. Yeah, she's here. Uh, Vriska. Uh, designed, uh, explicitly to be a wedge character within the fandom. Uh, this is something that Hussey says in the commentary. It's something that Hussey is essentially going to say on Form Spring. Uh, I don't think immediately, but very, very soon, like within the next couple months. Um, and we we can see how uh, the narrative is structured to make this happen. Before she even had a name, the only thing we knew about her is that she had a lot of associative villainous traits and that she mind controlled Tavros into jumping off of a cliff. So before we get a name for this character and any of this kind of like motivational stuff, uh, the deck has been stacked, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like there, I didn't mention it last time, but, you know, there was uh, all the sort of like uh, 
uh, wailing about Vriska, there were also, of course, fans who were like, oh my gosh, Vriska rules, right? Because she is so uh, uh, mean, basically. Right? A, a cartoon villain. Right, because she's <laughs> such like a cartoon villain. Um, they're like, man, like she rules, this rules. I love this. This is the best troll. This is my favorite troll. Um, and here uh, we start getting a lot of discussion. I mean, this this happened before, right? But here it really kicks into high gear. We've already had discussions about like, uh, is she is she going to be redeemable? Are we going to learn something about her? Or alternatively, is she going to get her comeuppance? And so here uh, in the introduction of her spider mom, mm-hmm. um, we have kind of one of the, the first, uh, I don't know, little dings in uh, what is going to be called the Vris course, where uh, I'm sorry, it's going to be called the, the what the Vris course. <sighs> All right. Yeah, right. actually, that's that's a bit later, really, than than Homestuck proper. Uh, what we end up calling this, I think, for most of the run that I recall is Vriska time. But I'll, I'll see if Risk Course shows up. OK, um, because I think the discourse, right, is a an artifact of like uh, mid two thousand or mid 2010s Twitter. Very much so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> Uh, yeah, so Vriska is, uh, on the one hand, someone who has done a lot of awful things, but on the other hand, oh, she's like, got, like, all of these characters have these weird monster animals that, uh, they have to take care of, uh, who are also kind of their parents, and one of the things that Vriska has to do is, like, keep her giant spider mom fed, so... The question it's the, the the question then is like, well, is she into that? Does she like that? Does she like have no problem with it? Or uh, the alternative answer or the, the, the sort of response to that is just like, that's just how this culture works. Like some of these kids have got to feed other kids to their parents. That's just how it is. That's how it works. Um, so I mean, that is factually correct. That is how it works. <laughs> 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 oh, I love the idea if you just state like a thing in in reality or in like a fictional reality that it just, you don't have to have any more thoughts about it yeah right that's just how it is right it's just what happened um and then there's also sort of an emerging argument that i i can truck slightly more with um which is that like stories don't have to like stories don't have to operate by this logic where like a character who is clearly evil gets introduced and then all of the ways that they are evil are explicated and all of the reasons that they are evil are sort of like enumerated and then they get their comeuppance right that that stories are kind of intrinsically a kind of uh a moralizing thing, right? That that is what you should do with a story. Um, obviously, this is 2010 on something awful, so no one's having like great big, uh, uh, long poetic uh, aesthetic thoughts about this. But people are basically saying like this: this is a story. Like there's there's no reason to assume that it is one type of thing or another, and there's no reason to assume that like Vriska is going to get a comeuppance or needs one, right? That does not have to be how this story works. Yeah, she collects doomsday devices. Yeah. She when I say comically villainous, right? Like literally. Mhm. She collects uh doomsday devices and like uh uh fetishistically breaks uh eight balls, magic eight balls, which of course we've already been mm-hmm. led to associate with the ends of universes from the intermission with snowman representing the eight ball and if you pocket the eight ball early then the universe ends. So this is also tying into kind of like weird Lord English stuff. Uh one of the things that's also being pointed out is that um Vriska is missing an arm and has a wounded eye in the same way that Jack 
Jack Noir back in the main game is missing an arm and has a wounded eye. So there's oh. like a visual uh, rhetoric of villainy that's being um, echoed here. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about that at all. Yeah. Um, so lots of people are sort of this is in the something awful thread. What gets interesting here is that you start seeing people being like, well, what do I do with this? Right. Like, what does this mean? Uh, all of these. Welcome to my experience of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> what do I do with this? Uh, but Homestuck is like, you know, echoing uh, like there's like there are like visual leitmotifs that are starting to work through and, uh, you know, associations being drawn between characters that those characters can't know about, but that the reader can see. And what does the reader do with those things? Uh, and people are like, you know, does every does every little detail actually foreshadow some incredible plot development that's to come or are some of these just there to be callbacks right um there's a lot of discussion that happens kind of around uh vriska's introduction specifically because of these points on her uh so clearly all all of these uh signifiers of like villainy and or bad things being tied up with her and uh how we get to know her Mm -hmm. do you have other thoughts on 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 vriska generally i think we can just like try to get a get get as much vriska talk out here as we can so she's a cartoon uh but she's also i mean she's She's a cartoon villain, even in how she's trying to make things up to Aradia, because her her whole thing here is, uh, you know, I've built like Aradia uh, is mad at me because I killed her. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what I'm going to do to make up for that is have my extremely creepy friend build her a robot body that she can then use to pretend that she's not dead. And like, that'll make it all right. Like that's Vriska's perspective on this situation. Now I understand it's fiction. It's an alien world, but like that's a hell of a thing to think about someone you killed. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's kind of part of it too. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that Vriska, because I know the name Vriska, right? And I know that that's something I don't quite know why I know the name Vriska, but I know that that is associated with Homestuck. And presumably this character doesn't disappear in the next two minutes or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm a little bit surprised that this, what seems to be a very one note character, like, you know, uh, what if a Bond villain were a child um, (laughs) and incompetent in some ways, right? Like an incompetent and an asshole, Um, you know, I, I don't know where this character can go, but if there's one thing. You know, I guess I'm still waiting in the wings for like what happens with Dave to make people like Dave. So <laughs> I, I, I'm assuming there's a lot more development to happen here. But yeah, I would say at this point she is um, just kind of like a stock character jerk who is who the villainous parts of this narrative, you know, of the trolls so far seems to be kind of revolving around. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have much more else to say about her. I, I don't think she's very interesting. Although I do think that the um, some of the world drawing stuff around her is pretty cool like i think i think she gets some of the better art dedicated to her her and gamzy mm-hmm. in the in in act five so far like gamzy's like weird house right beside the shore mm-hmm. um has some pretty great art and i really like this is uh on uh, uh 2208 2208 uh that her house and equus's house are like right beside one another mm-hmm. um implying some you know like the villains chill out together and they also they have the same blood right mm-hmm. aren't they of the same cast uh they're of different casts but very very close got it got it right okay um 
because this is this is a, a thing we'll probably have to talk about more, right? But yeah, they're the 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 aspects of troll society that are cast based are are being more clearly delineated in in this chunk of reading, and yeah. so yeah. Now, Vris, Vris, uh, oh. Can I ask a question about casts real quick? Sure. Has Hussey talked about that at all? <clears throat> Hussey uh, talks about it during well, what do you? Hussey talks about it somewhat on Form Spring uh, during this reading. Uh, so there's stuff that I can say there, but what are some of the specific thoughts or questions you had? You could do anything on the planet. We could have made them look like anything, mm-hmm. right? But but uh, but Hussey decided to create a troll cast system, mm-hmm. right? Um, of like basically what it ends up becoming is like not quite like a caste system like we would think of in the uh, in the actual world, but it's kind of like a almost like a racial purity argument. I mean, Equus uh, we'll talk about in a minute, but it is a is a fascist, yes. like a straight up fascist. Uh, you know, I, I I get that the trolls are designed around like types of internet users and fascists, like race fascists, are people on mm-hmm. the internet. Um, who, you know, are just as trackable as any of these other characters. But uh, I don't know. I just don't, like, you can organize a society in a billion different ways, and Hussey chooses casts. Mm-hmm. So is there a, I don't know. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. my my vibe here? I just don't know why this. So uh, this is a thing that happens on Formspring, actually, is someone writes in asking for kind of like more clarification on this caste system and how it works. And Hussey responds, um, you know, and, and like their question is specifically the question is prompted by the fact that uh, the caste system on Alternia is organized by the color of one's blood. So literally like blue bloods are people at the top of the caste system. And so everything sort of scaling down to red below them. Uh, right. It it, prece- it proceeds in that sort of ordinal fashion. So uh, Aradia is, for instance, uh, the troll who types in red and she is at the bottom of the caste system, whereas Gamzee, uh is kind of shifting from blue into purple. And then above Gamzee are uh, Cuttlefish Color and Caligula's Aquarium, who are both uh, further shades of purple. So they're kind of at the top. So uh, you mentioned that Gamzee has his little house by the seaside, and we see how the world is clicking together here. The two trolls at the mm. top live under the sea. Gamzee lives on the seashore, right? And then we have uh, Vriska and Equius who live uh, next to each other as uh, the two blue bloods. So anyway, people are sort of asking about kind of the implications of all this. And what does it mean when we recognize that... Uh, you know, there are not, in fact, hard delineations in colors uh, that uh, color is a spectrum, right? You cannot actually hierarchize color in this way, because if you push too far into red, you end up in purple. It loops back in on itself. Uh, and here's what Hussey says. You guys are probably just echoing the debates on caste issues that have busied Alternian academics for centuries. If the scale is cyclical, then the lowest is really also the highest, right? That sort of talk is probably heresy to their contemporary civilization. But that basic idea is surely the seed for the big Alternian civil rights movement that unfortunately won't get to happen due to Armageddon. They're all one big circle, a big happy family. Then everybody hate hugs. 
Understanding Carcat's place on the scale is pretty simple because Carcat is the one character who he types in gray, so he obscures his blood color, as I mentioned in the summary. Um, mm-hmm. First, regardless of how red he is, uh, he's red and red is bad unequivocally, right? Because uh, red is at the bottom of the, the hemospectrum. Blue bloods don't care that the worst blood is only one pixel away from the best. This is the nature of racism. It's irrational. But even if that weren't the case and his color was entirely different, like black, what do we know about caste systems on Earth? They're basically constructions of prejudice. The higher ups are not ones to welcome people who aren't exactly like them into the fold, pretty much by definition. In a caste system, if you're low on the totem pole, uh, you're dirt. If you're off the pole completely, you're still dirt. That's the end of it. That's the end of it. There's there's no thought of uh, uh, or not. There's no explanation of like why specifically this was chosen other than I think kind of the implication that we may get from this explanation. Right. That um, we are to understand the ways that the trolls interface with the hemospectrum idea as like a cultural artifact. Right. That has no basis in their actual biology. Or rather, it is an interpretation of uh, certain biological or sort of like material facts about troll existence. uh, And it is like it has a political impact on their lives. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Hussey doesn't understand how racism works. I I guess I'm not shocked about that one. (laughs) can, can, Can you say more about that? Racism is a historical construct that has to do with the distribution of power in society, and particularly uh, within an American context that is often uh, in relationship to anti-blackness in particular, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, as an originary kind of uh, foundational moment of racial hierarchization within the United States, but also there are lots of other ones, including uh, anti-indigeneity, um, anti-Asian sentiment is, uh, you know, a huge part of the expansion of uh, the United States as a thing, But which is to say it's not just like a bunch of arbitrary categories that people get put into for like whatever reasons. Uh, racism is an expression of power relations in the world mm-hmm. um, that have history to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you when you like create a caste system that has no history, because almost uh, the trolls don't have history. You know, that's kind of like their whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's an odd. It's an odd thing to do. Well, so far, mm-hmm. so far, that's their whole thing, right? I mean, in fact, their whole they inherit nothing other than like broad structures from their parentage. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't they they have things that they exist they they have a structure in which they come to exist in the world right the mm-hmm. brood mother pooping out a grub grub fights its way builds its house all that kind of stuff right but there's not mm-hmm. you know we don't see troll society so far yet i guess and maybe there's room for that maybe mm-hmm. that'll happen but i i would say that um if if you create a racial or a caste based system and those are different but if you create those two things it's, it is it is uh, instructional that Hussey conflates those two things, I think, first and foremost. But mm-hmm. um, secondary to that, if if you are uh, positioning those things without uh, also like a theory of the history of how they came to be, you are just naturalizing race. Mm-hmm. Right? You were saying that there is like an uh, agnostic of historical structure is just an arbitrary system that appeared out of nowhere. Golly gee whiz, I don't know where that came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, which doesn't particularly give me many tools to um, to to think through it. Uh, 
Yeah. So that's that's what I'll say. I, I think that it is all accurate. And I'm also going to give you uh, the Homestuck, uh, you know, the person who has read Homestuck response here. Uh, but you should you 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 could probably see this coming, Cameron. You've read enough to know how this comic works. Um <clears throat> Questions like this are going to uh, prickle at fans and at readers, right? Uh, the fact that there is kind of no history to the Alternian cast system and, and all this stuff. Um, so it's going to eventually work its way into the comic. Uh, Homestuck structurally, just to make this, again, pretty clear if you're someone who's not reading along, uh, is entirely built around introducing an idea uh, moving forward in the narrative from that point and then retroactively justifying uh, various aspects of the initial idea. So all of these questions that you're raising, Cameron, about like the history of the caste system and so on, um, not to, you know, spoil things, but we're going to learn that. However, hmm. however, what we learn is also in a weird way not really going to address the actual criticisms that you are making. <laughs> which I think end up still standing, but for reasons that we are going to talk about in uh, quite a while. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's just really interesting that um, Hussey seems to continuously have the answers to everything. You know, there, there's, there is a logic to every, every form spring answer you've read me, every um, uh, piece of commentary that you've read out of that book seems to, answer some questions or at least if not answering direct questions giving a, a line of logic for why something is open to interpretation or whatever mm -hmm. um and this it seems to be a moment of almost radical ignorance um <laughs> that that is notable to me i guess mm -hmm. again if it is not clear to you as as a listener or someone who's reading along like the most messed up and complicated stuff uh that is in homestuck starts to happen now hmm. um and it is really weird to think back on i mean it was a different time in internet life right to to look at uh what's happening in the something awful thread and kind of recall my own sort of experience of this stuff um where it's just like yeah i don't know like you can make up a bunch of alien kids who all have a weird system of racism and we don't have to think too much about that because uh, there, there's kind of there really is a moment that happens in the early 2010s um, in a couple of years where uh, questions of social justice get pushed to the center of these discussions in a way that uh, they're not here. Uh, and so there's a kind of, um, you know, sort of like flippancy about the way that everything is being deployed. Right. The if you say like, wait a minute, I have some questions or some like qualms with the way that the Alternian caste system is being talked about or that the way that this comic is suddenly um, trying to explicitly talk about race by fictionalizing it entirely. Um, you know, the, the response is kind of going to be something like, oh, come on. Right. It's just it's a fantasy story and this is just some world building or it's a science fiction story and this is some world building. Um so uh, that's one interesting thing, I guess, to to kind of like keep an eye on as we move forward. Uh, yeah, that that what what fandoms end up focusing on, and what stories end up focusing on are quite different, mm -hmm. even ten years ago. Mm -hmm. And the the things that people are going to hone in on as important, because yeah, I mean, we had to you know for years and years. This is a slightly too, um, you know, the side, but to to say things like. Hey, isn't it, isn't it weird the way that women are treated in this video game? Mm -hmm. Isn't that strange? Like that was like not like 
anathema, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like now there's still like some segment of the population that still gets pissed off when that kind of thing. Like even the most mild criticism of anything like that shows up. But for the most part, that's like a, a genre of criticism or thought that can can appear. And it is not like, you know, 11 people who are doing it, mm-hmm. you know, when, when that was the case. I mean, you know, we can think about, uh, you know, within that same world, um, you know, there were like two websites in of, of cultural criticism that were dedicated toward social justice oriented stuff broadly. Mm-hmm. And now that's like a thing that is kind of everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, a, a different, different schematic. I'm not going to say the word progress because I don't think that's particularly helpful, but certainly distribution looks different now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, that's yeah, that's the caste system. Um, we can use that to talk a bit about Equius, if that's where we want to take this next. Yeah, sure. Okay. This asshole. So <clears throat> uh, Equius uh, is a fascist, right? He's he's a racist fascist. Like I'd be racist insofar as like that term, I guess, makes sense in given like the the historical material situation we're talking about. Um. And uh, everyone like the 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 response when Equius first showed up back in uh, the previous chunk of reading again, if you're not reading along, uh, what happens is you get like a little like brief flash of Equius and everyone because he looks like a creep, like straight up, like uh, has like his uh, weird open mouth with like all these like jagged teeth, uh, broken sunglasses. He has like long black hair. He's wearing uh, like uh, uh, the type of shirt that we call a wife beater. Uh, He just looks very weird and sinister. And then you see his room and it turns out that it's covered with all these broken robots. Uh, He has a muscle anthropomorphic muscle horse pornography all over the walls and it's like the the wildest most bizarre fetish stuff like a giant horse thing like sitting on a human and like crushing their head uh with like a giant pixelated like horse penis like jetting out of it uh and the horse is saying in in a little word bubble i love being strong I, I, there's something really, well, so I guess I have two questions about this, uh, anthropomorphic horse pornography for you. Yes. Didn't think I was going to say that today. Uh, no, one is a question. One is a statement. Here's the statement. I think it's very funny that, uh, the little person being crushed is a troll. Yes. <laughs> like, of, of course it would be, but that is a funny detail. Hussy photoshopped uh, that. Yeah. Cause yeah. So that was going to be my second question. Is this just ripped off of somewhere or did Hussy commission this or what's the, so, what's the origination point? So one of the things, uh, you know, Hussy is constantly like folding in prior work here. One of the things that Hussy used to do on like their personal website was find all of this really weird, uh, furry fetish art. Um, mm-hmm. And then write uh, like uh, very serious sounding uh, critical art reviews of it. Oh, I see. Right. This was like one of their sort of this very low tax. Yes. Very something awful. Yes. Extremely so. Um, and so uh, Hussey ends up in in possession of a whole lot of these like uh, weird horse JPEGs, uh, including the I love being strong one, which gets photoshopped here to make the person into a troll. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and I also just have to say, like, 
of of the many many things in this comic that become like weird little like recurring punchlines, the one that I still think to myself most constantly is I love being strong. <laughs> <laughs> because uh and this is a, a little bit more i guess about like michael's past but like in the same way that uh hussy is someone who is on the internet and like finds this stuff and finds these communities and is like i'm gonna like turn this into content right by writing these ironic art reviews but i'm also still going to be like spelunking and all this stuff um during my teenage years on the internet uh like this is also stuff that I was looking up like I was fascinated when I got to the Internet and I realized how many things people could be horny for. You can just draw anything. Yes. Right. Like it was just <laughs> fascinating to me to like find all of this like uh, wild, just bizarre fetish art. Um, and there ended up being a uh, 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 quants um, dinosaur comics. Ryan North did a dinosaur mm. comic at one point that actually encapsulated this uh, for me very nicely, like why I found it so fascinating uh, where T-Rex in this comic is talking about like uh, people with inflation fetishes, right? Like in a cartoon, like getting blown up like a balloon. And uh, it ends up getting compared to like uh, having a fetish for like uh, seeing entropy decrease in a closed system, right? Something that is just like, utterly impossible and yet that is yeah. the sort of erotic fantasy upon which you have become fixated uh is it any wonder cameron that i became a lacanian i guess <laughs> the uh yeah it's uh what's that the the girl who turns into a blueberry yes mm-hmm mm-hmm it's that exactly the, uh <laughs> have i have i told the story uh on here or on any other show about the the guy who showed me a, his portfolio at a comic book convention. I I don't think so. All right, I'll tell it very briefly. Uh, <laughs> so at one point when I was in college, I thought I was going to be like a comic book person, mm -hmm. like a writer. And so, uh, so you know, some some uh, people and I uh, like co co uh, funded and made like imprinted our own comic book. Mm -hmm. and we went to some regional conventions. You know, and like bought, you know, spent table money, tabled, sold comics, that kind of thing. We, <laughs> we, uh, and so like inevitably what happens when you have a table and you like are positioning yourself as like an independent press, which is what we, you know, that was the idea. Mm -hmm. We're going to be like a little independent press and self-publish our own stuff. Um, and so inevitably people come up and start showing you their stuff and they're like, hey, I'm an artist. I, you know. Maybe we could work together. And that that's that was actually very cool. That was an interesting part. And this was kind of before this was like two thousand nine, two thousand ten, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And so that's before like comic book culture really explodes with the Marvel universe. I mean, it's on the way, mm -hmm. but you know, it's not we're not quite there yet. And so these comic book conventions or these like kind of nerd conventions are still they're they're small. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to things regionally in the South that have maybe a thousand people total that come over two, three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in those, I've actually, you know, looked at some of them and they're quite a bit bigger now, even though they still exist, but that's all to say, you know, these are things that are not like dragon con. These are much smaller. So this guy comes up and he's like, Hey, you know, he's probably in his mid thirties, maybe early forties. And he says, Hey, you know, I, I'm a comic book author and, or not author, but illustrator. I'm interested in, you know, getting more work out there. I have a lot of portfolio pieces, but not a lot of published work. I would love to, you know, if you want to check out what I've got, you know, maybe we could work together. And I was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. You know, I we are, you know, definitely. Let me check it out. He hands me 
his portfolio and it's all art i would it, it's full it's 70 pieces of probably you know like whatever that size of paper is that's like one size bigger than a legal pad mm-hmm. you know like i don't know a something whatever it is so it's pretty it's big art and it's all for the most part like uh pencil art you know comic book roughs mm-hmm. it is all seven seventy 70 plus pieces easily it's about of the level of the horse pornography here, the furry pornography here, right? Where it's like not particularly talented necessarily, uh, but it's like on the way there. Uh, and it is all nude women and nude animal people. <laughs> and we didn't talk about that before. Uh-huh. It didn't come up one time before. He was like, I want to draw comics, things like that. Just nude women, just nude animal people. And not not just like, body studies whatever but pornographic Uh art and so i'm like 19 (laughs) and having to be because i couldn't be like well maybe i could have you know but i didn't feel like i could just be like hey man i don't really want to sit here in public in this like family event paging through your pornography (laughs) to give you feedback (laughs) on it and yet that's what i did And I, you know, I would like flip through kind of slick because you can't like blaze through it yeah. because that's insulting to this guy, right? And he's he's an adult man, and I'm not, you know, in my mind, even though I am. And yeah, it's just a deeply, deeply awkward experience of having to be like, wow, you've really captured the form here of this large-breasted Jean Grey knockoff you've made, who was totally bare-ass nude. <laughs> Hey, uh, guy who's tabling with me, why don't you talk to that, uh, you know, family of three about our comic that we're trying to sell here? Uh, let me continue to talk about this Triceratops person and its large penis to this man. <laughs> right, so uh, anytime I see this type, because it, it was really of this, like, you know, artistic skill, mm-hmm. which is, like, most of the way there, but, like, pr- not really talented at coloring and, you know, not really talented necessarily yet at some of the finer grain things that take a good piece of art to a great piece of art. And, uh, yeah, I'll never forget it. Never. That's lodged in my old brain. Oh, boy. Uh, other stuff. Uh, it's something that, that maybe you didn't key into here with Equius, but uh, I definitely into. He's just a little Glenn Danzig. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, most people are comparing him uh, to Nick Cage's character from Con Air. No, no, right? not even a little bit. No, he's a little Glenn Danzig. He's wearing Glenn Danzig. He's wearing gray shorts. Mm-hmm. He is Glenn Danzig, a little bitty Glenn, <laughs> uh, just straight up. Um, but, uh, you know, he's got broken glass. He, uh, if you remade this character in the year 2021, he'd be punching holes in drywall. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's that's his thing, right, is that he he loves being strong. He's incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. He is so strong uh, because this is a thing that uh, Hussey talks about when you. So his Lucis, Arthur, mm. who is a centaur <laughs> butler whose milk that he drinks. Delicious, yeah, delicious. Got huge. Got a huge udder that's yes. hanging underneath him. I love Arthur. Oh. He's great. <laughs> Uh, But when you first see Arthur, uh, he's got like kind of a little black eye and the readers lock onto this. They're like, oh, my God, he beats his Lucis. 
it turns out, and this is like, again, worth like holding at a distance and really thinking about, it turns out Equius is just so strong that if he touches Arthur, he bruises. Like Equius is like incapable of controlling his own strength. So he really loves Arthur. He's just, Arthur is just covered in bruises because Equius is naturally so strong that he's always hurting him accidentally. Sure. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and this is also locked in with what we've already said about Equius and uh, Nepeta, right? E- Equius being very controlling mm-hmm. here. So one of the things that happens in the Something Awful thread is people are going into fandom secrets and finding Homestuck-related ones. Uh, do you know what fandom secrets was, Cameron? No. So it's it's a thing that we've seen before. We still have these, but they're not. Well, oh, can I make a guess? Yeah. Can I make a guess before you say it? Is it, a, is it related to above top secret, the conspiracy theory website? <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's say it is. That's actually okay. you, reader, uh, listener, can figure out how that works. Um, Interesting. No, it was a live journal community where people who were in fandom uh, would uh, just write, like they would send in anonymous uh, sort of confessions about like things that, happened to them or like thoughts that they had about their fandom or about characters that they felt like they might get yelled at or they might get them in trouble if they were talking about them kind of in their main fandom circles. Um, I read fandom secrets basically like religiously um, to, you know, again, gesture back to the Michael that was the Michael who gets into uh, Homestuck in this way uh, because it's ever it, it's a it's an aggregator right for all that I want, which is just like all the weirdest, most bizarre, most pathetic things you could possibly say about your silly little relationship with all these fictional characters. I'm going to read these and laugh at you. And obviously, like so many of them in retrospect, feel kind of like a little bit trolls, right? A little bit of mm-hmm. a little bit of a troll thing going on there. But a lot of them are also, I think, uh, pretty genuine. Um, One of the fandom secrets that gets posted is someone uh, basically talking about how uh, they are put off from Homestuck because uh, it is impossible not to read Equius as kind of a a groomer, right, as grooming Nepeta in some way. Uh, So, like, you know, the way that, uh, like, he is sort of dictating, like, what is or is not appropriate for her. And meanwhile, he's, like, got all of this, like, weird, creepy shit going on. And this is before, I should say, this gets posted before what actually happens with Equius, which I've already mentioned, that he has a robot body for Aradia that he has programmed to uh, make her fall in love with him, which... Uh, she does not like, and let me be very clear here, like, this scene is like a, a, a sublimated rape scene. Yeah, it's wild. It's some of the wildest shit on Earth. And, uh, not wild in a good way. Mm-hmm. Like, true, I, I was astonished by what was occurring here, mm-hmm. uh, because I don't really know how you get here. Like, a, like as, as a creator, I don't know how, I don't think I would ever be like, alright, so... I'm going to take my uh, alien Nazi and I'm going to have him create a robot body to make someone love him against their will. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be that's going to make things go. Mm -hmm. Yeehaw. I just don't think that would not be me. It's it's a it's a real choice. Um, And uh, it's also kind of a point where I mentioned that I get into Homestuck because I'm thinking like, okay, let's see how this thing is going to mess with all those shippers, all those people that I dislike. Mm -hmm. This is that answer. And I am not particularly happy with it uh, because I think this is extremely weird. 
And a lot of people think it's very weird, but most of those people are on the official forums. The Something Awful forums are like, what the fuck? This is so wacky. What? That's creepy. But like, it's it's how this story is going. Uh, People on the official forums are bringing up these like qualms about consent. What is happening? What are we seeing sort of depicted here? Um, And the Something Awful forums are just kind of laughing at them. Uh, You know, and I'm a big essay poster, obviously, but this is also like this is just kind of one of those things where I was never quite part of um, what we might call that culture, right? I I don't, Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say that like I was innately good or something. I just kind of had a different perspective on on this stuff. So this Mm -hmm. is stuff that I was not like. You heard it here. Michael believes he's innately good. Yeah, I am. I'm innately good (laughs) and I have always been a feminist. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, and that's the thing too, right? Is it's like, uh, it is not... What, what I'm saying, and I think what you're saying too, right, is not that, like, you can't write a story in which these things occur, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, whatever. Like, fiction is fiction, and uh, you can, in the universe of possible interactions in the world, all things are 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 possible and writable and could exist, right? We both, uh, you know, we've talked about this a million times, particularly on uh, Just King Things, right? But, like, we both like horror as mm-hmm. a genre. Horror often deals in just gross shit that is, like, not good mm-hmm. and would be truly awful if it happened in the real world. But it doesn't happen in the real world. It's happening in the fictional world, and you got to kind of deal with it in those terms, which is not say you can't not like it, but, you know, it's not the same thing as happening in the real world. But even within the fiction of this world, this doesn't—this is bizarre. Mm-hmm. It is It is incoherent, almost, um, with, with what's going on and just feels like, yet again, kind of like— Vriska throwing uh, dude off the cliff just kind of feels like a thing to fuck with the fans. Well, interesting you should say that because I've already mentioned the extremely fast uh, update schedule and the erratic update schedule that's been going on. And the other thing to note about the thread, I should say, is that more and more readers are piling in like uh, and mm. right mm-hmm. more like as a. Uh, Uh, As Hivebent uh, continues, right, more and more people are, like, joining the thread. They're like, I just, like, binged all of this. Like, holy crap, I can't believe this. And joining the conversation. People are getting their friends in. People are having conversations in the thread. Like, how do you get your friends to read Homestuck? Like, I've started with the music, right? I get my friends who like video Mm -hmm. game music to listen to Homestuck music, and then they start reading homestuck etc 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 um it is so interesting that that what what did you say hive bent is what it is yes. i don't know why i don't know this hive bent it's so interesting to me that this is so popular because mm-hmm. like i just this is whatever to me <laughs> you know what i mean like there's nothing particularly special about it mm-hmm. to, to me I, I don't know i don't know what the grabby part is you know what i mean mm-hmm. um I, sorry, sorry to, to to go off on a tangent there. Well, I think the grabby part is like how it was happening, right? I think it is the fact that we are watching this comic uh, introduce 12 characters as fast as it possibly can. The troll uh, little act here was supposed to last a month and it ends up lasting, I think, more like three. Um, wow. Yeah, but like so much content is being produced and I think everyone is just kind of like everyone is sort of here to gawk and Hussey says as much in a form spring response around this time saying that like, you know, I think a lot of people are coming in uh, to read this comic now just because like I am doing something that I know is kind of like uh, it's a big song and dance and I think people are here to watch me flail, right? Hmm. Um, 
So that's kind of happening. Uh, but the other thing then that is important about this Equius Aradia thing uh, is that she rips out the heart that has like the chip that's supposed to make her love him on it or whatever, smashes it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, cowering while this is going on. He he did not expect it to go this way. Um, and then she whips around, grabs him and pulls him in and kisses him. Uh, and then Hussey does not update the comic for a week. Oh, of course, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, God, just Hussy gets it. Uh huh. Like this is how you make content. This is how you do it. Yes. Uh, like the what you drop the most controversial. This is like if you were watching Friends. Uh huh. And uh, Joey whipped out a revolver and executed Phoebe on screen <laughs> for the season finale. It's like that level of like, what this this does not align with the rest of the experience that I've been engaged with so far. And now I'm just going to make you sit with it. And it, let's admit that would get a lot of people talking. <laughs> what is so great is that I know for a fact, I just, you know, I'm filling in the empty spaces now, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. On Alternia Friends. <laughs> Is that I is thought. what happened. Is Joey whipped out a revolver and shot Phoebe? Just like yeah, it, right. It's so the the what happens is so far out of like the bounds of the norm here, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess it really is how you interpret the scene, right? Like because I think for both you and I, right, we read it for the content that it is, which is that uh, someone someone has been tricked and lured into something that mind controls them into a uh, loving and presumably sexual relationship with someone else, mm-hmm. right? With someone who, who by all uh, estimations, appears to be a weird kind of controlling predator, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like, he's just, he's, he's, like, ticking all the boxes for a bad person. Uh, and look, whatever, it's on an alien planet. They're all bad, blah, blah, blah. Like, you can fill in all that additional information. I understand that. Uh, listener who has qualms with what I'm saying. Um, but right, like the, this is just like with all that information in your head, this seems so gross. Mm-hmm. So, and so even, even more than throwing horns, man off the cliff. I don't, what's this kid's name? Uh, Tavros. Tavros. Yeah. I just couldn't, can't get there. Uh, it, it seems like just one step beyond. Right. And then just stew in it. Just stew in this like escalation mm-hmm. of what happened here. You know, I, I think a lot about, um, you know, I, I think a mistake that I made, and I think I would call it a mistake in retrospect, a mistake that I made uh, in Sword Coast, Coast to Coast, which was, uh, or I guess still is, there will be a new episode at some point soon, actually. But uh, it's where, uh, you know, some people from the range touch community, uh, and, and I, we did like a, uh, 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 not a let's play. What, what is an that called? Play? Like a, an actual play, an actual play podcast. Thank you. Where, uh, you know, we played, uh, tabletop role play, played an altered form of Dungeons and Dragons and storytelling. And up into a certain point, it was a like Saturday morning cartoon. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, uh, one of the players, uh, cut someone's finger off while interrogating them. Mm-hmm. And that, and like everyone after the fact, not really the players, because it just kind of happened that way. But uh, a lot of the listeners, like immediately were like, what, what happened? Like, why? This is like a fun and fancy free. This is not like a, a thing where we're like torturing people. 
what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, and the mistake on my part, and the reason I called it a mistake is that w- as soon as that happened, which I don't think the player who did that was wrong to do it, it was their character reacting. But I think what I should have done is kind of a DM is say, hey, wait, 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 this is like way out of line for what we've done so far in the show. We should maybe roll that back and think of a different option here. And I didn't do that. But, but you know, so I've had my own kind of moment of like an escalation and a thing that I have made that just went uh, beyond expectations and then I very consciously kind of warped things back into the way they were kind of supposed to go. But that really still stuck out as kind of a spur of something that wasn't fitting the right vibe. And I think a lot of people did not like in a very visceral way, which is okay. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's a piece of work and people make mistakes. And I definitely learned from that. But to me, this is like, what if you did that, but you did it again as like a laser targeted thing to drum up as much controversy as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I mean, that's because like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. That That's what this is, right? Because uh, Hussey comes on to the official forums where people are asking, like, how can we know if this is consensual if we've just had her get into a robot body that was explicitly designed to, like, subvert her will? And now she's like ripped out some part of that. But then she kisses him anyway. What's going on? Uh, and Hussey comes in and is like, oh, yeah, no, like she rips out like the having the thing programmed to make her fall in love with him is the part she does not like, but she actually does like him. Right. So, I mean, is that what happens? I don't know. Well, that is, that is what Hussey says. This is a thing that is not going to be like sort of super dwelled upon in the remainder of this comic, but that's the note that Hussey leaves things on. Uh, Everyone in the something awful forums are just cackling. And then there are no updates for a week as everyone is just, as you put it, stewing on this. Now, this is also where things get really interesting in the something awful thread. Uh, Do you want to know what, what starts happening? Yeah, I do. I was going to guess, but just tell me. Everyone starts role playing, Cameron. Everyone? Like a whole, there's a list. So, uh, uh, Pester Chum, the uh, <laughs> chat client that the kids uh-huh. use in Homestuck, there is like a Pester Chum app that gets made. And it's not really an app. What it is, is it's kind of like a, a skin for an IRC channel. Hmm, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. And what happens is like really everyone is all in the same IRC channel, but it's filtered like the the um, sort of interface is filtered in such a way that you're only like seeing different chat windows and the people that you're talking to. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a thing that the fans have made, uh, you know, fans from like official forums and everything. Uh, but suddenly everyone on something awful is like piling into Pester Chum uh, and everyone's coming up with their own like, uh, you know, handles that fit like the the homestuck pattern of like lowercase, uppercase. Uh, everyone's like sort of, you know, coming up with characters that they're playing. Uh, and to be clear, when in the previous chunk of uh, reading, when Nepeta was introduced uh, before we even got her name uh, and we knew she was a role player, we were people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe she's like a furry fangirl role player. Blah, 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 blah. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. How wild. And now <laughs> here we are. Everyone's role playing, Cameron. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Great. while they're waiting for the next chunk of content, they have nothing to do but to role play. So weird stuff is happening. Uh, and the first thing we get uh, after this update is going back to Nepeta, watching this whole thing go down with uh, Equius and Aradia and looking a little confused, but then being like, well, OK, I'm going to update my shipping chart. 
because it turns out she has on her on her cave wall uh, all of the possible romance configurations among all of her friends mapped out. And just to, for the record, uh, early on in uh, last episode's reading in that chunk where we first got like the the glimpse of Nepeta and knew kind of that she was going to be a sort of like fandom type character. Um, mm-hmm. Someone said in that thread, like, oh, my gosh, wouldn't it be funny if she was like a f- uh, a fandom girl who just like shipped all the people that she knew? Yeah, wouldn't that be funny? Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? Hey again, Michael here, chiming in from a different timeline to tell you about Ranged Touch, which is the podcast media network that this show is a part of, that Cameron and I are a part of, and all of the things that we do. You can find out more about that at rangetouch.com, where we list all of our shows in kind of a centralized way. Uh, That includes not just Homestuck Made This World, but things like Just King Things, uh, where we talk about the books of Stephen King in publication order. Or if you like some of the more academic-oriented stuff that we're doing here, you can look at Game study study buddies where we read through books of academic game studies and try to make those accessible uh you can also find all of the like weird jokes that we make in addition to various updates and so on and so forth at uh twitter.com slash range touch and that's a that's a great thing to do give us a little follow on there and you can also support us at patreon.com slash range touch even a little bit of money a month helps uh, but we have various tiers that give you all sorts of bonus content just king things bonus episodes notes from game study study buddies and now homestuck bonus episodes where we have talked about con air we're apparently going to talk about uh undertale we're going to talk about animal man cameron what's the thing that you're looking most forward to talking about on the bonus odes talk about we're going to talk about problem sleuth we're going to talk about problem sleuth people so we're going to go backward in time we're going to go forward in time sideways all sorts of ways in order to knit back into the huge database that is homestuck um also uh be sure to leave us reviews on your podcast platform of choice that helps us get eyes or rather ears it gets us eyes and then i guess gets us ears is how that works out i guess that's how the sensorium works um Mm -hmm. And you can also tell friends to listen to this and, and check out all of the things that we're doing here on the Internet. That is Patreon.com slash Range Touch, RangeDutch.com, uh, Twitter.com slash Range Touch. And now back to our regularly scheduled uh, little gray kid hijinks. Wait, before we go back, I oh, have to. No. I said I would do this. I forgot this last time. Sorry for the last episode, whatever record episode. But uh, if you leave a five star review. I'll select one random one from the last time we recorded, and I'll read it. This one's from The Harney, five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you you give us a five-star review and you write a review, I will choose a random one. I will read it. Subject line, another great range touch pod content. A teenage Dave cosplayer on TikTok told me, no offense, (laughs) but Homestuck Made This World is the worst podcast I've ever heard. So if you are or have ever been into Homestuck, that's all you need to know about whether you'd like this or not. I think that's extremely accurate. (laughs) listen to the also uh, if you're still listening teenage uh uh homestuck uh dave cosplayer if you're listening to the show still reach out yeah we want to interview you for the show i want to know what's up with you yeah come come talk to us we want to know what's what's happening with the teens who are reading homestuck now yeah uh and now uh back to the regularly scheduled great kid hijinks now the other sort of big ambivalence that's operating in the thread here then uh, is who's the butt of the joke here? 
uh, we started out thinking, or like I started out thinking like, oh, okay, maybe this thing is going to make fun of like certain types of fans that I think care too much. Um, now we hit this thing with Equius and Aradia that is uh, just so much more extreme and leaves kind of a taste in my mouth, right? A sort of bad taste. Mm, yeah. Because it's like, on the one hand, this does seem to be like it's 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 messing with people who want to suddenly it's messing with people who want this to be a story about romantic relationships. That's one way of reading it. Um, sure. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, OK, hussies just changed tacts, right? Rather than taking all of your sort of theoretical ships and then introducing something into the story that makes them like unpalatable, I'm going to give you a relationship and it's going to be uh, the most awful tasting thing you could imagine. Mm-hmm. And I guess another uh, another way of reading it, right? Who is the butt of the joke? Is that the the butt of the joke is me? Who is like this? The story has certain boundaries to it mm-hmm. as far as like thematic content, and no, no, that no, there's not, no, uh, you know. And uh, also, it is interesting, I guess, there too that this is kind of like the second weird moment of Equius violating personal boundaries. You know, he mm-hmm. makes. Vriska hit herself in the face with her robot arm that she that he made. Yeah. Um, you know, so this is kind of a repetition of that, that he that he is asserting himself over other people, particularly women, mm-hmm. um, very aggressively. Right? Mm-hmm. So 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 maybe that's, you know, one of it is the you know, one possible read is that um, I, the person who thinks that there's certain um, uh, things that these stories do that Homestuck does and certain things it doesn't. Uh, I'm the idiot here. Mm hmm. And as I start seeing everyone in the homestuck, yeah, in the homestuck thread, uh, start sort of ironically role playing, um, I start to understand what I think might be happening here, bigger picture, uh, which is that Hussey is not going to align with one side of the fandom over the other. It like one of the things that is going to be kind of an engine here uh, as we move into troll romance, right? We get all of this troll romance exposition. And on the one hand, it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it's bizarre stuff. Uh, it feels so wild and over the top uh, that, you know, it's like, oh, this this could be nothing more than making fun of the idea of like, I want to have relationships in my fiction. But really, mm-hmm. no, what this is going to do is give us uh, various uh, scaffoldings for understanding relationships between the trolls. What do the trolls think about the world? How are they interacting with each other? Um, you know, why is it that troll society is a place where you can uh, like uh, what? How like what does it look like when you have a society that does not actually really make distinctions between love and hate? Yeah, I mean that that's the whole this this whole thing, right? Uh, this whole act so far is taking what was so grabby about suburb as a concept and applying it to a whole social system. Mm-hmm. Because the trolls live in a game. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I mean, that's what, the, you know, in the, in the thing we were talking about with uh, caste and race that Hussey's talking about, that's essentially what's being said there. Right. Hey, it's a bunch of arbitrary rules and it's it's bad, probably. Right. There's a bunch of arbitrary rules, but it's just a bunch of arbitrary rules. And once you realize that it's arbitrary, you realize that, like, none of the stuff matters all that much, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and you should like, you know, do whatever you want to do with it. Um. The, the, it's just one there. The whole troll society is just a big schematic for players to 
to roll around in or for readers to roll around in. And so it, it makes so much sense to me that they immediately start role playing because you've given them a big set of rules. Mm hmm. It's yeah. in the same way that you said that people were trying to figure out the rules of Spurb and like extrapolating from them and all that kind of stuff. That you've just given them a role playing system. This is a yeah. just a role playing game that you have uh, communicated entirely through narrative. Right here, here's a world. It's populated by people who look generally like this. Uh, they're little humanoids. They have horns. Their horns all vary from person to person, so each person gets to look unique. Uh, they have everyone kind of has the same type of shirt, but they each get their own little symbol on it. Every person has a uh, color that they type in and that color is connected to the color of their blood which is also connected to their standing in society also each character has a quirk right a specific way mm -hmm. of typing uh, that further distinguishes them and makes them unique it is like uh, you know it's Hogwarts houses right it's the sorting mm -hmm. hat uh, but operationalized in like 16 different directions an infinite oh they all get like a little guardian so yes. you get to determine your animal uh, yes, it, uh, it, same thing with, uh, you know, talking again about young adult literature, this is the golden compass too. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. this, this is kind of the logic that it, that it runs on and why people were so, or one of the reasons people were so invested in that. It's also the same as the hunger games with the different districts. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, and they, those are all one or two dimensional characters with a district and a character type. Um, so this is just straight up the mechanisms of young adult literature. Can I also say something truly cursed right now? Okay. This is also the logic of NFTs. Yep. This this is the uh, the social concept, not the full speculative apparatus, but the social mechanism of NFTs, which is that you get your own little um, unique gorilla or goblin or whatever, and that stands in for you eternally. And there's a big set of rules through which that generates all the gorillas. Um, I'm shocked there has not been a troll NFT yet. <laughs> um, uh, you know, because uh, ultimately that doesn't have to, um, you know, live with, uh, Hussey in any kind of way, but, mm -hmm. um, please, whoever's listening, don't make one, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> They're bad, but, but that's all to say, right? Like th this Homestuck made this world, Michael. I don't know if you know this, mm. but, uh, I've heard this is, yeah, yeah. I think, I think someone said that one time. Uh, far in the past, but not too far back. Uh, and uh, this is just like the reality of it is that this is culture going mm -hmm. forward is like, what if you had a big schematic and you could imagine yourself in one of these little finite pieces of it? Mm -hmm. um, so I want to talk about Doc Scratch. What an interesting idea. Yeah. What, what do you think of Doc Scratch? Because I have so much to say about this. Well, I think that... Look, I'm a sucker for it. A sucker, yeah. Yeah, I'm just in a general sense. <laughs> big goofball <laughs> running around over here. Uh, no, I'm a big sucker for uh, like creation paradoxes. Mm -hmm. Like I like that in a general sense. Mm -hmm. I think uh, you know one that's made well. I like all you zombies. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm a, I'm 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 hip. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you you know, you're Robert Heinlein. Yeah, I know my Heinlein. I know my uh, Dulles and Guattari. I know uh, I know these things. So I, you know, I like the, like, I like conceptually what's going on here, which is like, uh-oh, you summon in a demon from a server somewhere else from like paradox space, or it's actually not paradox space, I guess, uh, from a uh, different a-causal universe and uh, pop it in and it's going to instantiate the conditions for its own emergence and it's going to do so with some agents and those agents are going to like exert influence and will on the world. Mm-hmm. 
science science fiction-y or uh, fantasy-wise, I am on board for that. I just don't think he's very interesting. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I land on it, weirdly enough, and and kind of like uh, the dog too, whatever his name is. Oh, uh, Beck. Oh yeah, Beck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just don't think. Yeah, I I I think conceptually they're very cool, but as like characters, and especially like Scratch's whole thing of like writing in white text, which is an interesting, I guess, maneuver. But like the things he says, which are just like, um, you know. They're all Fallout New Vegas uh, Chris Avalon lines. <laughs> yeah. They are, right? Like, you you don't even know what's going to occur. I know what will occur. Ah, the past, but not the past for you, but for me. Like, I, that, no. Like, if I'm choosing between that and, like, the Weed Lord Juggalo, <laughs> I would rather re- read the Juggalo <laughs> as far as, like, what I'm getting from the communication. But that said, conceptually, I think he's very cool. Uh, hold on, I'm looking for something that I want to read from him here, but I did not mark the page down. I'll, I'll let me filibuster while you're doing that. Okay. <clears throat> the scene where Arthur dies is <laughs> probably it is right up there with that cake flying out the window for me. Um, <laughs> Can you please tell us about how Arthur dies because it is so good. <laughs> Equius's house like blows apart. Uh, it doesn't really matter how, but it like blows apart, and then it, it blows apart in such a way that Equius flies out of the window. Uh, and he is like a little bitty. He just flies out and then, uh, we get, we cut to like him falling, um, like vertigo style yes. <laughs> and it just says, Arthur, <laughs> you can see his little, like a little, uh, udders wiggling in the wind. <laughs> um, and that's good. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's very funny to me. Th- these little bitty characters, uh, uh, Hussey is very good at using scale as comedy. Mm-hmm. And uh, very successful here at, at this little dude flying out the window. If if uh, I had been reading Homestuck, Arthur flying out the window would have been my uh, something awful uh, like user icon for sure. <laughs> no question. <laughs> That's very good to know. Because um. it's funny. I think second funniest joke in the whole thing to me. Visual visual joke. Yeah. In the whole thing for me. So. Uh- um, what's interesting to me about Doc Scratch, well, okay, so this is something I guess we also need to know about historical Michael. And this is also like what historical readers think. The first time Doc Scratch shows up, he does not name himself as Doc Scratch. He's just this guy writing in white text and you have to highlight it to read it. Um, mm. He is, uh, well, everyone thinks at first, it's like, oh, is this Lord English? Right. This is this mm-hmm. is like the the real time kind of like fandom anticipation disappointment cycle. Is this Lord English? Are we going to finally see like what Lord English is up to? Uh, and it turns out uh, he just refers to, you know, his employer. Is Lord English the demon that the narrate that the narrative voice mentioned? Uh, and is it the same thing as the white text guy? Well, the white text guy gets re- revealed to be this person named Doc Scratch, who, of course, has like the cue ball head. Um, and everyone connects that, of course, immediately to the felt. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Cameron, do you have your app open? I do. Okay. Uh, can you go to page one oh or eight oh five? Eight oh five. Yep. This is uh, from Act Three. This is when Jade is introduced. There's a big orb. I see some sort of orb. Yep. Read that text. The magic cue ball, on the other hand, is said to make predictions with alarming precision and specificity. Unfortunately, it lacks a portal on its surface that allows you to view the prediction. 
You put both of these pieces of junk back in the box. Yeah. So who has this? This is Jade. This is Jade. Oh, so mm-hmm. Jade's got an orb and oh, oh, and also a magic eight ball like Friska has. Right. So it gets started out as this joke with the the magic eight ball, which is this thing that uh, for Jade, mm-hmm. right, is it's supposed to tell you your fortune, but it doesn't give very good predictions. Uh, and then mm-hmm. the joke uh, as you're reading Act Three is that she also has a magic cue ball uh, that is perfectly accurate all the time, but you can never read it because it doesn't have a little <laughs> portal in it. Mm-hmm. So it's fun. Yeah. But now suddenly we have that's not, that's not going to become an infrastructural piece of information. <laughs> certainly, <laughs> certainly, right? That's just going to be a little joke. That's a funny old joke. <laughs> certainly not. Uh, but no, now we have uh, this Doc Scratch character um, who is uh, it has a cue ball for a head and cannot be controlled, quote unquote, by the narrative prompt, and who is also constantly claiming omniscience. Right? He has uh, he's. Uh, immortal uh, has sort of knowledge of everything that is going to happen or that would happen or could happen Um, here. Hussey says something in uh, the reader or the book commentary. Doc scratch is such a powerful manipulator. He manipulates other skilled manipulators to manipulate others on his behalf. In this case, he does most of the manipulation work on Vriska and Terezi. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He manipulates them to manipulate everyone else, and he also plays them off each other, all the while being very smug about it. It's probably easy to be such an incredible puppet master when you're omniscient, but he doesn't care. His whole act tends to be uh, playing with his cards facing up as a kind of mindfuck power move, constantly signaling that I'm going to get you to do what I want you to do without making any secret about what I'm doing. Or I'm going to mislead you without technically lying. You're going to be able to tell that that's what I'm doing, but there's still nothing you can do about it, and none of your objections matter. He's a fairly conventional devil figure in this way, uh, as well as a nefarious alt-author with the power to stand in for me or subvert the narrative. Uh Uh-huh. So... There's a, a but you're already in the comic, <laughs> right? To stand in for me, Andrew Hussey, uh, who is both a character in the comic, but also like a real person who is making this comic. And so what what's happening here? Right. Is uh, mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm working towards something. Right. Because uh, historical Michael, the thing that he is really, really interested in is this Lord English question. Um. I don't quite know what is happening here, but I feel like something extremely interesting could result from whatever is happening with this like bizarre predestination paradox thing that the time traveling demon, whatever. Um, And then when Doc Scratch shows up and to me, of course, also becomes a pretty quickly clear uh, that he's some sort of like weird author figure, um, sort of like manipulating characters, getting them uh, into positions that are fortuitous to him for whatever reason. Um, I start getting really interested in what's happening here. Uh, when he, that is to say scratch during one of his conversations with Riska, um, he says, uh, well, this is when, this is when, uh, uh, actually has summoned all of those ghosts and doc scratch shows up and he's like, Hey, why don't you kill Aradia? And Riska kind of is resistant to that. Um, and he says, uh, or, and she's like, no, because she it's uh, revealed here that he is also the person who convinced uh, Vriska to throw Tavros off the cliff. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, 
And she's like, no, I don't want to listen to you again because I, you know, threw Tavros off a cliff and it made everyone really angry with me. And he says, you know, basically, who cares? Right. Um, Again, I didn't talk you into anything, nor am I doing so now. You were and are going to do this regardless. I only ever place myself into positions of tangential involvement with events that will bring about my employer's entry into this universe. I oversee the events as they take place and ever so slightly nudge them into motion when necessary. Um, Then a little bit further on. Because she, uh, Riska gives him some shit for uh, saying he's omniscient and everything. And he admits that there are things that he does not know. So he he does not know, for instance, that she has a magic cue ball. There are certain things that he cannot know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he says, the gaps in my knowledge exist by design. They are the pillars of shadow on which my comprehensive vision is built. Necessary pockets of void meant to effectuate outcomes I've foreseen and which will require my influence. Each dark pocket in time will be filled. Uh, this is the process of writing Homestuck. Right? There there are things that I have in mind uh, that I know we're going to work toward to, or there are things that I have in mind that I know we're working toward, and uh, everything else is just improv, right? Like, that, that this is how improv yeah. works, is you have kind of the beats that you know you're supposed to hit, they give you a broad structure, and you just sort of, like, uh, play as well as you can until you can hit those beats and get everything completed. Yeah. <laughs> you sound extremely depressed. I'm, I'm not depressed about it. It's just, that's boring to me. Yeah. <laughs> that's not interesting. That's not, that's not the interesting way of, uh, not your interpretation, which, which I think is a hundred percent accurate, <laughs> but like, th- that's why the character is not interesting to me. I think is it's like, it's just a, yet another authorial stand in for, um, you know, not being able to do anything for characters to not have uh characters will I look pure cold shot here. Mm-hmm. I've not read beyond this. I think characters are probably going to have some sort of impact on the way things shake out. <laughs> maybe not, but I you know, that's just maybe an idea here. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. It's just it is a uh the frustrating is not the right word, but if this, I'm trying to to communicate my displeasure correctly. If the final structure of the thing is predetermined and it's just like rearranging chairs the whole time, then what what the only thing to really get out of this thing is like your enjoyment of characters. And mm-hmm. like what they do and how they interact with each other, which is fine. And I, obviously lots of people enjoy that. I would say probably it seems that that is the most resonant long form thing that exists from, from Homestuck is people's fond feelings about particular characters and the way they do it. I've, I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about just like things they've enjoyed about the big thing. It's also because I'm pretty spoiler averse for like the end of it. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's self-selection. So that's all to say is is it's like, all right, well, then I guess I know the one thing I should really pay attention to, and that's these fucking chat logs. <laughs> cool. But yeah, so, so you know, I, I'm kind of g- getting hit with a double whammy here in Act 4 and Act 5, which is that the end of Act 4 is, is pure plot, but it is plot that is so outrageous and um, 
uh, goofy to me that I, I don't know how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm being hit with, hey, everything is predetermined and predestined, and there might be a little bit of uh, uh, arrangement in the middle, but ultimately we're all going to go and hit this, the right ends that we all know are going to happen. And that leaves me with very few things that I'm like really engaged by in this thing. So, um, you know, I just want, I want more Arthur, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I want more Arthur. I don't, I don't want to read all that much more of these kids talking to one another. And mm-hmm. I know that I'm in for like thousands and thousands of, of interactions of this sort for the next time. So, you know, wh- whatever, you know, I, I've seen a little bit of commentary, uh, in, on the old, uh, internet that uh that i'm not that i'm hating this Mm -hmm. i'm not hating homestuck you would know if i was hating something (laughs) but uh it it would be much more apparent Mm -hmm. uh i i'm enjoying what we are doing here but the uh uh the what samuel delaney would call the space of discourse Mm -hmm. right so all the potential arrangements of what i am being brought into the fold with here are are not exactly aligning with my desires Mm mm-hmm well, I think uh, you've got a pretty good view of how things are going to go, uh, but Great. there's more that I need to say about Doc Scratch because there's more like okay. I think it's related to this, right? Uh, you okay. are you are to touch on something we said in the last part episode. Uh, you. Uh, Homestuck teaches you how to read it, right? We are yeah. learning how to read Homestuck right now. This thing is sending signals about how it should be read or how it wants to be read. And we're sort of picking up on that. Um, so, uh, we're getting these signs that maybe we should be, uh, more interested in characters maybe than plot, but, uh, let's see what Hussey has to say in some author commentary here. Um, mm-hmm. so this is, uh, near that discussion about the, you know, the dark voids and and so on and so forth. One reading of Doc is as a manipulative devil creep in the model of many fictional characters who fit this description. He's fairly recognizable in a traditional presence in the story when viewed that way. A less traditional reading centers on his role at a metatextual level as a nefarious, all-knowing, profoundly evil alt-author presence. A guy who has the full powers of the author, who essentially is the author with certain dark authorial impulses greatly exaggerated, while functioning as a character in the story who can speak to and influence other characters in support of an evil agenda. Viewed this way, his conversations with other characters take on a different quality. Listen very carefully to what I'm getting ready to say. Okay. Normally, the author remains a disguised presence and influences the thoughts of characters with an unseen hand, simply by writing their thoughts directly into their heads, their words into their mouths. This alt-author is essentially doing the same thing, but as an actual character and a known presence to those he influences. He whispers in their ears, gets them to do the nasty, terrible things that are latent within their nature to do, uh, which I, as the unseen author, easily could have done myself through a conventional writing process. But I outsourced that dark influence to this guy, thus establishing him as a narrative construct in the story on the same level as, but at odds with, the actual author so there's that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's true i guess the thing that i want to draw very close attention to 
is that use of the word normally. Normally, the author remains a disguised presence and influences the thoughts of characters with an unseen hand simply by writing their thoughts directly into their heads, their words into their mouths. There is nothing normal about that. That is not how fiction works, because for this description to make sense, you have to believe that characters exist independently from the person who is writing them, that they exist as yeah. entities uh, that an author is influencing rather than making. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, it is, a, it is a quite odd way. The charitable read here, mm -hmm. right, the, that, that, that makes sense <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, is that uh, you got a bunch of puppets mm -hmm. and you, you're, you're, you're punching Judine up, you know, the mm -hmm. thing. And normally you you're be doing the voices. You're mm -hmm. be doing all the voices. Incidentally, of your mouth. incidentally, in a form spring answer here uh, recently, uh, Hussey has said uh, all of the character voices are just uh, parts of their own voice, kind of like cordoned off and hyper accelerated. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is a uh, if Andrew Hussey did not exist, uh, we would be forced to invent them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Like like I think I could from from reading Homestuck based on what, what has happened so far. I could just like invent a whole Andrew Hussey mm -hmm. based out of that. But. But anyway, um, so so I, that's the charitable way of reading it, right? Is that, look, it's a bunch of puppets, and, and what Hussey means by this is that by uh, writing out their thoughts and by putting the words into their mouth, you are manipulating those puppets and, like, running them all around. They don't have any prior, you know, uh, prior existence. Mm -hmm. But what, I mean, I, what you're saying, right, which is true, the literal reading of what's going on here is that Hussey is saying that, um, that, <laughs> they're doing uh, uh, telepathy on these things, mm -hmm. right? And like, they are real, and you are uh, Satan whispering, right? I mean, that's the mm -hmm. Doc Scratch thing, right? Mm -hmm. Satan whispering into them and making them kind of do things. No matter what, I, I think what you're getting at here is that this is a, um, a a theory of fiction interpretation that opens up a way of reading Homestuck that encourages a very particular kind of fan reaction to it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and like part of what makes it so workable is that Hussey is describing like what Hussey just described there is a narrative dynamic in the comic, right? Like mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. whispering yeah. in your head that makes you do things is what the exiles do when they're typing into those command stations to tell the kids what to do. It's what the yeah. readers were sort of doing when they were delivering their reader commands. Um, but here uh, we've got this weird sense that, I mean, this is the other way to think about it. It's the interface effect. The idea that we are not watching uh, or reading a comic, right? We are looking through a window or a porthole into action that is happening sort of independently of us. And we, uh, through this window or porthole, have some kind of access to the reality on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. um, this is also a little bit to bring up something that you uh, uh, urged me to look at way, way back. This is also a little bit Animal Man. 
Uh, oh yeah, it's very animal man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> however, uh, to to take the character as kind of like uh, existing independently of uh, the author. Well, first of all, that's also an animal man. But I think it's interesting to to run back to the Grant Morrison animal animal man run on this. Um, so sorry, spoilers for Grant Morrison's run on Animal Man, everybody. Mm-hmm. We'll do a bonus episode on yeah. this probably at some point. Yeah, we should. Worth, worth doing, I think. It's but, good. Yeah, it's go good. Ahead. I'm glad I read it. Yeah, it's good. It's great. Great stuff. And I, I, I'm glad you're bringing this back up because it's way more like Animal Man than it was when I brought it up originally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like way, way more. Uh, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, so uh, what happens at the end of Grant Morrison's run on Animal Man, and this is in the um, sort of early 90s, um, is that a bunch of bad stuff happens to Animal Man. Uh, his family gets killed. Um, also, there's some time travel. So there's some other things, too. But like, well, we'll talk about those on the bonus episode. Uh, but eventually, Animal Man uh, meets Grant Morrison, uh, the person who is writing these comics. And uh, Grant Morrison and Animal Man have this uh, really weird heart to heart where Morrison explains uh, kind of like why they write comics, sort of what uh, they think they do as a writer and sort of what that means kind of ethically. Um, and it all comes down to, uh, to, to well, just to quote uh, Morrison from the comic, uh, I made you do that. I can make you do anything. Uh, because what happens is like Animal Man is like, you're the person who's responsible for all the bad stuff that's ever happened to me, right? My family all being, you know, killed. Um, and so Animal Man kills Grant Morrison. And, you know, as a reader, you're looking at this comic book and you're like, oh, crap, Animal Man just killed the author. And then you turn the page and Grant Morrison is now standing behind Animal Man and says, yeah, I made you do that. Like, you've never been violent before. Why on earth did you do that? It's because I wrote you to do it. And then Animal Man has a moment of like, oh, crap, you really are like my author. Um, so uh, the theory of kind of like uh, fiction that Morrison ends up uh, putting forth in Animal Man is represented here. Uh, your world talking to Animal Man is so much simpler than ours. It can be invaded by aliens or suffer cat- catastrophes and nothing matters. It all just comes back good as new. There's no problem that can't be solved by some idiot in tights. However, added to this, you live in a world created by committee. Someone else writes your life when you're with the Justice League. Hadn't you noticed? So there's a, a Morrison here is leveraging the fact that Animal Man is a piece of corporate property who exists uh, in sort of like multiple runs at the same time. Right. Uh, with multiple kind of uh, author continuities that are, you know, in some way supposed to also be all fitting together. Um, so there's this way of thinking of the character as a, a, a fixture in the world outside of any one particular author or reader uh, that. Here, I think if we're going to read the um, Hussey's comments on kind of the Homestuck thing a a little literally, right, um, is kind of taking that uh, commodified form of character for granted. Yeah. Right. Installing it as the natural form of what fictional characters are. Yeah. Yeah. Just just, can I pin that down, uh, you know, just in case people are not exactly following along? Sure. Michael, what you are saying is that the the character the theory of character and narrative of homestuck is the disney model of characters but under the control of one person mm-hmm. is that corporate idea of 
um, an, uh, a, a solidified force that is infinitely mobile into lots of different positions, has its own kind of coherency, but its own kind of coherency so that it can be manipulated and maneuvered as easily as possible. We always know what Wolverine is. Mm-hmm. Wolverine does not change from his basic qualities because he has to be mobile and adaptable to every situation. And so in that way, when I write Wolverine, as I do quite often, uh, when I write Wolverine, I'm really just whispering into the ear of a coherent character who pre-exists me, Mm -hmm. which is not really how fiction works. No. I invented Gandalf. (laughs) I'm J.R.R. Tolkien this time. Yes. Out of nothing, right? (laughs) Gandalf is just the things you put in Gandalf's mouth and things you write about Gandalf and the thoughts you write in him. There's no more or less of him than that. Everything else is just inference or supposition. I, I'm i the one who makes the Gandalf move. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Check out Game Study Study Buddies. Uh, um, hold on. I have, cool. I have more on that that I need to read. Okay. Yeah, please. So, please. so I wanted, it's good that we have that on, on the table because there's more to say about this, um, sort of unfortunately. Um, because uh, this touches on what I've mentioned where in the commentary Hussey can be kind of mean about like Tavros. Um, Mm. So uh, what happens near the end of this is we get uh, Vriska basically paralleling what Equius did with Aradia, right? Tricking Tavros into going to her house and then uh, like springing this kind of romantic overture on him. Uh, it works out differently in that she is like, she literally is like trying to mind control Tavros into kissing her and then just like gives up. Um, so here is what Hussey says during this part. <clears throat> also, I guess just to, again, if you're not reading along, like, uh, one of the other things that Vriska does is just like constantly mock Tavros for using a wheelchair, which, you know, is the thing that she caused. So, uh, that's, that's their oh, yeah, relationship. She lures Tavros to her house, which only has stairs yeah and then smashes him into it over and over again Mm -hmm. in his wheelchair it's it's a fucked up thing to do Mm -hmm. uh so hussey writes in the commentary here here's an observation the more smack i jokingly talk about tavros down here the more it starts to seem like riska's voice is actually echoing my own during the moments when i choose to throw shade at some of my ocs notice there again like sort of the fandom language being used to describe the work some mm-hmm. things she said gandalf, gandalf is an oc by the way yeah <laughs> i've i've made jro tolkien being like i've made my own angel ocs they're a bunch of old men uh with beards <laughs> some things she that is Vriska um, says mm-hmm. could easily be some things I say undisguised by her voice in a way all characters with significant roles can be seen as author mouthpieces representing a certain splinter of the author's perspective the core of Vriska's initial profile the ultimate troll and supreme source of controversy has the secondary effect of creating a portrait of an individual who heaps scorn on characters deemed as weak and who persecutes or torments them to put them in situations that force them to grow and evolve which is exactly what an author is supposed to do with fictional characters to challenge them break them down force hard decisions 
prompt evolution, and let them build themselves back up or die trying. In other words, the basic constituents of what we consider compelling character arcs and narratives in general. And this actually goes on to the next page. When I said that, uh, like, the author commentary gets real, like, deep in this book, this is what mm -hmm. I mean. Uh, so, you know, ignoring this or, you know, basically um, another way of understanding Vriska here is that she is a vehicle for what Hussey calls authorial scorn. Um, now, it's not, you know, true hate. Uh, it's like uh, an attempt to show like a... Uh, a metafictional or sort of like, you know, the narrative is trying to tell you that this is a, this is, these are things that need to be overcome. This is growth that needs to happen, whatever. Um, this is then paralleled with Kanaya, whom Hussey says is sort of like an, like an alternative vehicle for showing uh, authorial affection, right? Like Kanaya is kind of the character who's constantly sort of like trying to prop other people up and everything. Mm -hmm, yeah. So uh, there's this, uh, again, right, there's a theory of authorship here um, that is that is sort of positing that your job as an author is to like uh, either torture your characters for their own good or uh, reward them when they need comforting or have done something well. And again, this is a really strange way of thinking if you take this too literally right it's a strange way of thinking about what it means to write because i say this as a as a writer and mm -hmm. as a you know creator like i do not think like what do i have to do to this person to make them develop like that's just not how i think i think about like what is the story that i need to tell like i don't think of them sort of first and foremost as like people whose lives i need to ruin in order to make them better people because mm -hmm. um, they're not people right because they're not like they're they're I'm making up dudes, right? I made them I made them bad to begin with. Where do I get off like using my authorial scorn character uh, to like rub them in the dirt constantly? Wait, are you telling me they're not bad? They're just drawn that way. <laughs> well, but here's what's interesting, I guess, about that is that I totally see how someone could come to this conclusion. Um. Because, I mean, it's wild to hear these things because it's someone like trying to like backfill narrative theory out of watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it seems like. Yeah. Which is like if if you take one genre, which is like the um, I don't know, like the mid-level ad adventure story. Mm -hmm. Then then, yeah, I guess this is what writing is, right? Where it's like there are very clear character arcs and characters have to go through a low point before they go through a high point. And you can phrase that in different ways. But again, there is really nothing. Uh, this is this is me not poking at you, but poking at the apparatus of screenwriting. There is very little in what you just said that is not reflected in the mainline um, uh, 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 storytelling education that we have in the world. Mm -hmm. um, this is Save the Cat. Yes. This is McKee's story. This is like, you know, this is not Andrew Hussey coming up with anything new. Mm -hmm. This is just a rephrasing. It's, and I think the difference here that you're pointing out is there's a cruelty to this that is not present in those other things. Um, but, but, but what is interesting here is that, it, it, you know, it's like watching, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's like taking um, a, The Last Supper mm -hmm. and then having someone redraw The Last Supper after a, like a, a 30 minute lesson on how to draw <laughs> and then someone else taking that 
and being like, all right, so I'm going to figure out what art's all about. <laughs> like, it, the, the level of mimetics between, like, what things should be or the best possible version of things, um, you know, what an author is supposed to do versus, like, what is happening here are, are very, very different. There's not a line of, of direct... Uh, I don't know, uh, genealogy here to me, mm -hmm. which is all to say, I, I think that this is a lot of justification and like creating narrative theory just to, to say that it's okay for these characters to be so cruel to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be much more honest just to say, Hey, I like it when these characters are cruel to each other and it makes for more interesting content, mm -hmm. which is true. Mm -hmm. Just be, I, I just, I feel like this is a little bit disingenuous on Hussey's part. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's um, like this is why I wanted to talk about it, because it does feel like a lot of hoops to jump through to just say what uh, Grant Morrison said in Animal Man will stop at nothing. You see all the suffering and the death and the pain in your world is entertainment for us. Why does blood and torture and anguish still excite us? We thought that by making your world more violent, we would make it more realistic, more adult. God help us if that's what it means. Uh. But I think it's time to wrap up. There are some very important historical notes that I just need to make you aware of, Cameron. One is that can, can, can I say one? Yes. Can I say one joke that I really like? Yes. Uh, twenty three. Uh, twenty three sixty three. So can't get up the stairs, and so uh, Vriska goes and gets rocket boots <laughs> yes. and sends them to Tavros. And they turn into a rocket chair. But when it transports, it goes from like panel to panel and it goes, Pashoos! Yes. <laughs> Which is great. So good. Uh, Pashoos! Anyway, sorry, go ahead. So just some uh, sort of historical notes that I want to make here. Um, one is that someone in the Something Awful thread crunches the numbers. The comic has, uh, we end on uh, August 12th of 2010, or sometime around then. Uh mm -hmm. The comic has updated 408 times since Act 5 started. Is that a lot? That is that is know. quite a few updates. And it's like okay. uh, the word count, the total word count is like 45,000 words. That's a lot. That is quite a lot. The other thing is that on uh, July 19th, uh, baby John Carcat is born. Cameron, someone on the official MSPA forums posts a picture of their child and says that they named the baby John Carcat. I don't like that at all. Yep. So I don't like that even one bit. Please this, don't name your kids after the Homestuck kids. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, uh, that's just uh, that's where the fandom is. Right. And people are like talking about like people are starting to talk about how much Homestuck cosplay is showing up at conventions. Right. How much of a presence this is starting to have. Um, so we're really seeing everything tick up. Um, the next time we will talk about the end of act five uh we're, we're gonna finish up with all of these trolls and we will be reading to page 2625 so we're gonna see how all this uh troll nonsense wraps up and then we'll get right back to the main story and, and jump into it um until next time uh any words of wisdom cameron No, I don't have anything. Just keep reading it, I guess. <laughs> uh, okay. Any good sound effects, Cameron? Weep. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Achoo!